Hello and welcome back to Meet the Chefs. It's an absolute pleasure to be chatting to you as always, and today I had the fantastic joy of meeting up with Stefano Rosso from Gelati Dino. Stefano is the third generation in an extraordinary company that now has ice cream parlours not only all over Spain, but all over the world, stretching as far as Qatar, France and Morocco. I sat down with him after a factory tour here, close to Barcelona, in Figueres, to talk about all things ice cream. Now what's different about this chat is that a lot of it centres on the business side of Gelati Dino, and that's because I really wanted to get inside just how an operation of this scale works. It's extraordinary because all of their ice cream is made here on site, and it's in the same place where the company started 45 years ago. It's fascinating to hear about the journey the company has been on, the family has been on, and how it balances things like a franchise model versus owning its own stores. More than anything, it's really great to hear about the gelato. So I hope that you'll enjoy our chat. Right, well, welcome back everyone to the podcast. We're here back again in Spain in Gelati Dino in the factory upstairs and a lovely cozy office, a bit different to the restaurant and, and cafe settings we usually have. And I'm going to introduce today's guest. So, well, actually, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and the company that Gelati Dino is. Thanks, Oli. So, uh, basically, my name is Stefano Rosso. I'm the marketing director at Gelati Dino Gruppo, and I'm the third generation of the of the family business. And we basically produce gelato and distribute gelato for or a, a brand a chain of stores and we also sell gelato to restaurants and pastry shops. Sure, so I want to just starting off go right into the story of Gelati Dino and where you guys have come from because we were talking earlier so your first store was where we are now in 1978 yeah, is that correct? correct? And now you're I mean you're literally all over the world so yeah. could you just paint a picture a rough overview of how that journey has gone for you and mm -hmm. over time when you chose to expand to different stores different cities and eventually different countries mm -hmm. so my grandfather he he was uh, he had a fruit shop in turin mm -hmm. and he came to empuria brava which is this town where we are now in spain it's a very it's in costa brava it's a very nice town it's it's has a very nice beach and you can imagine uh, my, my grandfather coming from Turin, which is an industrial yeah. city, and seeing this place, he fell in love and he said, maybe I can build a business here and maybe just work three months a year and mm -hmm. with that they can have a, a good life. So he, he came here, he opened his uh, first store in a very bad location, but he was lucky enough that there was a lot of uh, German people in this area okay. and Ger German people love Italian gelato <laughs> and they consume a lot of Italian gelato. So it was a great Perfect success. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Great success from the beginning. He saw that there was a lot of potential. So he started to bring his, his family from, from Italy to, to Spain with the idea of opening more stores. And, uh, you know, as the time goes by, the, the company grows bigger and bigger. And uh, uh, we decide to open a big factory in 1993, more or less, which is the factory where we are now. And uh, this factory basically uh, puts us in the position that we have to grow faster mm -hmm. because we have a lot of production capacity. Uh, also at that same time, uh, the, the company was mostly based in Costa Brava, which is this area in Catalonia, which is uh, a very tourist area. And 
for my grandfather, this was, in his eyes, the best place to sell gelato. But 1992, Barcelona Olympics, things yeah. changed. Barcelona is not, was not the city that we know now. It was a, different, complete, a completely different yeah. city. Uh, there was no tourism. But after 1992 Olympics, tourism starts to come to Barcelona. It's incredible when you speak to companies all up and down Spain, and obviously especially in Barcelona, mm. just how important that 92 is. It's such, a, For sure. such an important year in the history of the country. Exactly. It? it put Barcelona into the map. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, saw the potential when we saw that Hagen Daz opened its first store in La Rambla and they had a line of people in October buying gelato. <laughs> For us, that was impossible yeah. because we in October in Costa Brava, we closed our stores. Yeah, well, even still now, so many businesses completely yeah. shut on the coast. Exactly. So when we saw that, we said we have to go to Barcelona. We have mm -hmm. to open our own store in Barcelona. And uh, we found a store in Passeig de Gracia, which is the most important, uh, yeah. uh, so city, uh, the most important uh, street in Barcelona. And we opened there our first store. And that was really the exposition, uh, the presentation of the brand to the rest of the world. That's where we started to get attention and people wanted to open franchises and they wanted to get our gelato for their restaurants. That's where really the brand started to grow. And at what point, so you're saying people instantly, you know, want to open franchises and stuff. At what point did you decide to pivot to that model as opposed to having your own stores? Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 uh, it's very organic, let's say. Uh, so, um, we, we, so people come to you with a very good location. You know that that location has a lot of potential. And uh, for whatever reason, you cannot open it yourself. Mm -hmm. Normally, because normally the franchisee was also the owner of the store. That's how it started naturally. And as time goes by, uh, during the last 10, 15 years, we really have professionalized the franchise system. And, and now we are proactively searching for franchisees. Mm -hmm. uh, in the beginning, it was the other way around. So how many of the stores now are run by you and how many are franchisees? So we have around 17 stores that are operated by us. Okay, so still, still a big number. Exactly. We, we still believe that we have to operate a lot of the stores. It's still uh, in our DNA. We like mm -hmm. to operate stores, not only operate franchisees, uh, but franchisees is a very easy way let's say, easy way in the sense that we don't r risk the capital uh, mm. of the family. So for us, it's very important to keep control of the brand, to keep control of how we, how we uh, operate uh, Dino brand. And uh, there's two ways of growing. So I let outside investors inside the capital or our open franchisees. Mm -hmm. And this is a discussion we had in the family and we decided that the best option was franchisees. And I'm gonna come back to the franchise model later because I actually think it's, when I talk to, to franchise-based companies, it's a really interesting thing, mm -hmm. the pros and cons it gives you. But I wanna take it sort of back again, okay. firstly. Um, when you saw, you know, there's so many, gelato is such a big industry all over the world and especially here in Spain and especially in, in tourist centers like Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about Hagen Das. Competition like that, how did you manage to differentiate yourself and carve out a niche where Gelati Dino is, is its own brand that stands up against huge international American competitors like mm -hmm. Hagen Das? 
Well, in differentiation with Haagen-Dazs, Haagen-Dazs has a very limited number of flavors. Mm -hmm. That's basically our main uh, way of competing with Haagen-Dazs. Haagen-Dazs is a very big company. Its main uh, business model is not the stores, it's the retail stores, yeah. so Capravo, Mercadona, mm -hmm. all of those mm -hmm. chains. Uh, and they have to have a very efficient production line for very few flavors because they have to uh, try to sell as most to most people to most people the same flavor mm -hmm. uh, because their their investments are very high so they have to amortize these big investments in uh, very low SKUs very mm -hmm. low product uh, uh, product extensions yeah uh, we are different uh, we can produce uh, very slow uh, very low quantities of very different flavors and this was at the beginning a way of competing with uh, Hagen Das. Now things have changed. Uh, our business model uh, now uh, basically is built on this idea of uh, producing that gelato in the store uh, with the idea of uh, giving to the, um, to the customer a fresh experience, a fresh gelato every day. And this is a way of competing that we have been doing over the last uh, 10 years, which has been uh, a pivot from our original uh, original business model where we produced everything in the factory and we send the gelato already made but now we produce the gelato in the store and this has been a, a huge success and who's the main competitor for you now we mostly compete with a small gelato stores mm -hmm. uh, we don't have uh, you don't have a massive a massive yeah. competition in the sense of uh, this big company like Hagen Das is a competition mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a competitor it's a very big competitor uh, but we don't have maybe Amorino. Amorino, mm -hmm. I think they do a very yeah. good job. Uh, and then over the last years, there's a lot of companies that have entered Spain also, mm -hmm. like uh, Luciano's. And we were like talking about Badiani. Badiani, of course. In, yeah. uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that are getting into the business. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that competition is good. Mm -hmm. it, it pushes forward the envelope. Do you think that the market for gelato has grown in Spain? For sure, and, and it has to grow. Uh -huh. uh, Spain, we believe as Spain has a good market for gelato. Uh, there are better markets in Europe for mm -hmm. gelato. Uh, this notion that gelato in Spain is a good market is due to tourism, because the Spanish consumer is not a not big consumer yeah. of gelato. They are certainly uh, not a big consumer of gelato in gelato stores. Sure. Do you think that's because they're just not used to it culturally as, you know, exactly. obviously compared with somewhere like mm -hmm. Italy or, or even mm -hmm. France, it's sort of a more mm -hmm. cultural thing to go out and have ice for cream. For sure, for sure. And, and this is changing. This is changing thanks to, to all of the players in the market. Mm -hmm. we, I, I believe that Spain is a, is a market where the competition is, you know, very high quality competition is not bad quality competition. Mm -hmm. I believe there's good and bad yeah, competition. Yeah, I think in Spain, everyone is doing a, a good job and everyone is working towards this goal, I think in mind that everyone wants, is that to increase uh, the consumption. Uh, in Spain, we still have to, to grow the consumption. If you compare it to Italy, for example, or you compare it to, to Norway, for example, uh, those are countries that they consume a lot more per capita and uh, there's room to, to, to grow in Spain, for sure. And I want to come back to what we were saying about, about the franchise model. What are the biggest cons of that for you? What are the problems that over the years, as you say, it happened organically? Mm -hmm. Straight away, what 
problems did you run into that you've, and how have you overcome those issues? Yeah, for sure. When you operate a, a brand that has 45 years of history, mm -hmm. uh, that means uh, 45 years of changes, uh, mm -hmm. 45 years of pivots, yep. 45 years yep. of competing in a market. Mm -hmm. That means that you have to be very aligned with your franchisee uh, for him to understand uh, the changes necessary for the, for mm -hmm. the business. And some franchisees understand it perfectly and you know, we work very close together with them to, to help them to, the, to develop those changes. Uh, but that's, I think that would be the toughest thing, you know, uh, uh, when you operate uh, such, a, such a historic brand like ours, mm. uh, it's tough. It's tough because you have to adapt to the, the brand and sometimes there's some resistance. How have you adapted the brand when you've gone into international markets, especially? I mean, that strikes me as something that, I mean, we see this so many times mm -hmm. with massive brands sort of like, you know, your McDonald's or your Starbucks mm -hmm. going into international markets and adapting their menu or changing what they do to try and fit in. Have you guys found yourself doing that or keeping the menu and things more the same because that's the appeal? So at the moment, we, we operate in France and we operate in Qatar uh -huh. and we operate in Morocco. Mm -hmm. uh, France and Qatar has the latest uh, concept of our franchise. And at the moment, there's no big difference. Sure. Uh, it's very similar. Obviously, the pricing strategy is yeah, different course, yeah. uh, because that's adaptive to the, to the market. But right now, at this moment, uh, it's, it's very similar. If you go to Qatar, the experience is the same that if you go to a Madrid store. It's, and it's, is that it's the same. In a weird kind of way, the market is both tourists. So No, uh, it's because uh, the new concept uh, is very adaptable. It's, okay. a, it's a typical Italian gelato store. Uh -huh. But in Morocco, where we have uh, our store that we have been operating for 11, 12 years, in that store, we had to adapt to the to the market because we opened a very big store it has 25 people working wow. uh, it's around 300 square meter store uh, we had to adapt the store to the necessities of the to the people from Morocco basically mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an experience of sitting down and taking your time and mm -hmm. getting a coffee and getting a big bowl of gelato mm -hmm. It's different than what we do here in Spain, where we mostly sell cups and cones. In, Mar in Marrakech, we, we basically sell a lot of sit-down menu items. Okay, and is that, so that's a Moroccan cultural thing, yeah. would you say? Well, that's really interesting, okay. Exactly. And is that, is that a franchisee store? No, that's a company operation. Oh, okay, so you didn't even, because I was going to say maybe that's the appeal of a franchisee, is that they can understand the local market better, but you've managed to do that anyway. Yeah, uh, we, we had to. We mm -hmm. had to adapt because when you when you get a 300 square meter yeah. store and and outside is 50 degrees, yeah, uh, it's difficult to imagine someone walking around with a cone in their hands yeah, melting course, yeah. down yeah, yeah, at 50 really degrees. So we had to adapt a little bit the model, yes. Amazing. And I want to talk now about the factory, which is where we are today. Mm -hmm and sort of the processes that you guys go through and all the different things. I mean, we've been on a tour and it's, it's an amazing site. The scale of this place is, is absolutely huge. What are the things that you do differently here to other companies and why do you do them? Mm -hmm. So uh, the philosophy of our company is in-house. In-house meaning that we try to produce everything that brings value to, the, to our product by our, uh, in our factory, let's mm -hmm. say. 
uh, this is called this is called vertical integra integration and it's been a philosophy over the last 20 years in our fact in our uh, family and everything that we do and we invest is through this view that if we control the the value chain we can have a better product mm -hmm. basically some of the things that we do is that we roast all of the nuts in our factory to produce the gelato or to produce the chocolate creams that then we use in the store. Uh, yeah. This is one of the things that we do. Yeah, just uh, for listeners, there's this incredible, huge roaster that I've just seen in the roasting room. There's mm -hmm. sort of like a, a coffee roaster style. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're literally, you're roasting all the nuts in-house. You're making all the toppings and things in-house, right? Exactly, and also the, the jams, the fruit jams that we use for decoration. Mm -hmm. We also produce them ourselves. So this is basically uh, the idea that uh, we, we could buy these products from producers and probably at a cheaper price. Mm -hmm. uh, but we believe that if we produce ourselves these products, we can have a better, a better quality. Mm -hmm. And so things like the nitrogen freezing, do you mind? I mean, that's just one small part of the things that makes mm -hmm. you guys stand out. But do you mind explaining that to listeners and exactly. the importance so, of it? Uh, normally, when you take out the, the gelato from the batch freezer, mm -hmm. you have to uh, blast freeze it. Mm -hmm. uh, a, normal press, a normal process would be blast, blast freezing it at minus 40, minus 30 degrees. And this process, what it does, it preserves the gelato better. But we developed uh, this technology, which is blast freezing it with nitrogen at minus 80. Mm -hmm. What uh, this process does, it, it makes, it ensures that the gelato is preserved better at a longer time. And it, cre it, cre it keeps its freshness, its creaminess uh, better with time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for listeners, it's like a massive conveyor belt yeah. on the factory floors. It's quite amazing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the restaurant market and the professional market, mm -hmm. because I came and saw you guys at the Gastronomic Forum in, yeah. in Barcelona. I actually bumped into you. It was completely unintentional. <laughs> but it was great to see you there. And you had some of the savory gelatos mm -hmm. there. I remember the, I think it was the red wine vinegar one for me. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, so, and it's the kind of thing that, so many chefs now are experimenting with on tasting menus and things like that. How has, when did you firstly decide to enter that market and how has that market grown for you in recent years? So we, we have been in the restaurants for many, many, many years. Uh, the same as the franchise market, mm -hmm. very organically. Just by so accident. people came to our restaurants and they get, sorry, they came to our stores and they get big tubs mm -hmm. for their restaurants. Yeah, you think, well, uh, and when we saw that people were doing that, we said, maybe we can sell them directly, yeah. right? So that's when we started developing special product lines just for restaurants. And um, on the last three years, we developed a special brand that is only focused for that. And we have a special sales force only dedicated to that. And the reason is because in Spain, uh, you know, gelato consumption has to grow. And we believe that there's a huge potential in the restaurant business. In Spain, people like to go a lot to restaurants, yep. uh, as you imagine. Uh, we like to, to you know, indulge ourselves in a, good, in a good restaurant. And gelato is always in the, in the menu list. So we saw a good opportunity there to, to, to show the restaurant owners that if you have a good dessert with a good gelato, the experience is, is better and for, when, the, for the customer. When was the first 
time that you had a savory ice cream on the menu? Oof, many, many years ago. I would say like 15 or 20 years ago. And what was it originally? Uh, I could be wrong, but I think it was like something like uh, gazpacho. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure exactly, but, yeah. but it's many years ago. I was, I was Yeah, 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 yeah. You, were, you weren't around to see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, we're touching there on the amount of flavors that you guys have. And that is something I think that we were saying on the, on the drive here that makes you stand out mm -hmm. as well as the huge quantity of flavors you have. Mm -hmm. How do you go through the process of identifying new flavors? Do people ask for them? Do you come up with them? Do you have a team that brainstorms them? So th there's both things. Uh, I would say 50% of the ideas come internally from our uh, business unit. Uh, we basically develop new ice creams for our gelato stores. Mm. This is where most of our research and development goes uh, to. Uh, but for the restaurant business, uh, we offer this, uh, um, this, this service where we produce special flavors for the restaurant. Okay. So for a minimum order, the restaurant can have its special flavor. Mm. Uh, this is where also we extract a lot of ideas because, you know, it's better to get ideas from yeah. the chef. If they come up with something fantastic, then you exactly. can roll it out. Exactly. Amazing. And what's the craziest flavor you've ever had made? Uh, I would say uh, foie miquit. Okay, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, miquit is this uh, uh, duck. Oh, uh, so it's fa like foie, it's almost like foie gras. Yeah. Foie gras, yeah. Oh, wow. Foie uh, gras. Yeah, fantastic. foie gras. We have been doing it for many, many years and it's, it's really good. It's a special flavor, yeah. Amazing. And I want to just logistically, you guys have so many stores here and we were talking about how you've changed your process to make things in-house, but it's also all made here in the factory. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you've talked me through the process, but can you talk listeners through how that works? That you produce a mix here that can then be finalized off in different stores exactly. and the benefits of that process. Yeah, so, so as I said, I, we used to produce the gelato and sell the gelato already made. We, we changed this process, I would say, 10 years ago to compete better in the market because we saw the market needed uh, fresher gelato. This mm. is how we responded. And, but we didn't want to produce the gelato in the store from the start because there's a lot of risk in doing that in terms of the quality and in terms of like uh, training the staff. So. What we developed is this concept where we sell uh, this uh, mix of uh, gelato, which has all the ingredients inside, and it arrives in the store in this bag, and the worker only has to uh, put it into the batch freezer, and the gelato comes out uh, perfectly. Mm -hmm. This is our, our system. Amazing, and that for you then essentially allows you to maintain control over the supply chain exactly. and the final product, but also that. And you have so many other different products as well. We were talking about you have cookies, you have waffles, you have crepes. At what point did you decide to adopt all those different products? Mm -hmm. And at what point did you, you know, wh why decide to go into all those different things? Is it again, just sort of an organic growth that people are asking for? Or was it a conscious decision? Uh, both, but uh, let's say that uh, we have to develop products for the winter. Okay, this sure. is a, a main issue in our business. Uh, the winter months are tough. Uh, so we are constantly thinking about ideas of how to make the stores viable in the winter months. And with this idea of producing everything, so everything ourselves, we started developing uh, the crepes, the waffles, the cookies, the hot chocolate, like all of these products that we produce ourselves, we do not outsource and that we sell through our, through our franchisee stores and our own mm -hmm. operated stores. Okay, and 
So was that something that people asked for? Was that something that you guys decided consciously that you needed to do? Uh, I it's, it's many years that we have been doing this, so I'm not sure because I didn't live there. Yeah, yeah, sure, but yeah. it's, it's mostly both. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say that we try to develop products that make sense inside an Italian gelato store. Sure. Uh, because we could sell anything. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, but, <laughs> but if it doesn't make sense in our gelato store, then we don't put it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are very conscious of what categories of product we add that have to add value to the store, but not destroy brand image. So this is very important. And you guys are a family business still, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, how important is that to you? And how are you structured now mm -hmm. as a company that allows you to do that, but as you're scaling, maintain mm -hmm. the family element to it? It's not easy, you know, 45 years, three generations. Uh, we, we, we have a set of values that we, we have so we have to be a, a we are a profit focused company mm -hmm. in the sense that we like to grow but you know keeping our feet down and not yeah. grow massively yeah. at the cost of you know having generations of non-profit yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is also a, a way of doing business we, we 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 value a lot hard work so this is you know in our dna so uh, the good things about having a family business that's that the decisions we take, we put them into perspective of how this will affect the next generation. And we mm -hmm. try to you know, have this in mind and, and build a sustainable business, not only for the next quarter or the next year, but mm -hmm. for at least 45 years more. And do you think that's the biggest benefit that being a family business gives you, that you're focused on sustainable growth rather than purely short-term profit? For sure, I think... Uh, or revenue even, not even profit. <laughs> for sure, uh, I think that uh, many businesses try to grow too fast with this idea of maybe selling and it's legitimate uh, I don't mm -hmm. I don't uh, go against that but you know in a family business is different you know mm -hmm. we, we we try to b build value for the next generation and uh, you know this 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 comes to conscious decisions that okay is does this that we are doing now make sense for the for the next years? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's this long-term view of the business is what really uh, you know what really represents uh, a culture in our business. Yeah, and so your decision-making framework is that generally based within the family, or is that something that you take to? know people loads of people within the company yeah yeah it's it's part of the it's part of the culture of the, sure. of the company you know when we decide to open a new store and uh, we start operating uh, we don't think okay we have to do the first year has to be profitable or yeah. uh, we have to open 50 stores uh, mm -hmm. you know okay let's open a little bit every year and okay maybe the first year is not very profitable but as we're thinking, when we open a store, we're going to be 10 years there. Yeah, of course. So we have to have a long-term view. We had stores, we have been operating stores for more than 25 years in the same location. So we are very, you know, we have a very long-term view on the way that we do things. And what is the future for you guys in the short-term and long-term? What are the goals for you going forward? So we are building on this idea of diversification. Uh, we, we have been starting selling to restaurants in a more professional way in the last mm -hmm. three or five years. We're building a team there. Uh, basically, on the short and long term, let's say, 
we keep growing what we do, uh, mm -hmm. keep growing our cap production capacity, uh, keep opening stores. There aren't any new markets you've identified? Any countries? Yeah, uh, we've opened. Uh, so basically, most of our stores are located in Catalonia. Mm -hmm. uh, now we are having a big presence in Madrid because we have been growing there very fast. We have three stores now. We're going to open two more in wow. next month. Wow. This year alone, we opened seven stores, Goodness me, which is the best uh, year yeah, we say, ever so had. Yeah, I was going to say, so all of a sudden, you really are sort of picking yeah. up. Uh, we are picking up. Uh, I saw you in Zaragoza actually last week. <laughs> <laughs> I spotted you, and I didn't go in because I was like, I know I'm going to go to the factory. But. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, the, the ideas keep growing. Uh, uh, our main target is to grow in, inside of Spain, but you know we have one eye set on in France. Uh, mm -hmm. France is a very good market, uh, but we know it's tough. Uh, Amorino there is is very powerful. It's and they do a good product, so it's not easy to compete with them. Uh, but France is something uh, we are, you know, very interested in. And also uh, the Gulf, uh, so Saudi, mm -hmm. uh, Qatar, Kuwait, uh, Dubai, uh, those countries are, you know, we, we fortunately have a very good partner there. Uh, we are working very hard to, to grow our presence. So maybe in the future also, that would be a very good market for us. Final question is, what is your favorite ice cream, your favorite gelato flavor, <laughs> your favorite product that you guys sell? So uh, I always take a cone, uh, a medium cone with uh, chocolate and hazelnut. Nice and simple. Amazing. Well, thanks so much again. Thank and, you. And thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks so much again to Stefano for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to sit down with him, really. And it's just so interesting to hear about all those inner workings that go into running a company of this scale. The factory really was fascinating and of a different scale to any that I'd really visited before. Obviously, the amount of things they're producing is on another level. And the fact that in there they're roasting all of their own nuts as well, as well as producing the mix of waffles and crepes to send all over the world, really is quite extraordinary. They've got something very special going on and it's going to be an absolute pleasure to watch them grow from afar. Thanks again to Stefano, thanks to you for listening and be sure to subscribe now so that you never miss an episode of Meet the Chefs.